Welcome to Grazed in America podcast. I'm your host, August Horstman. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Hey, I'm good. I'm just gonna hit the record button so we're going, but we can just so you're aware. <laughs> okay, but, sounds good. But no, thanks for uh, moving it back a little bit. It uh, kind of got a busy day. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been pretty busy around here as well, but uh, no problem at all. Good deal. Did you get uh, wrapped up for the day, or you still got to do stuff? Oh well, we're we're currently building a uh, working on my outdoor arena, and I took a break to hop on here with you, but uh, my hired man's still kicking at it. We'll yep. probably just run until dark. That's kind of been what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. Yep, yep. Do you need? Uh, do you want to reschedule so you can do that, or? Oh no, we're good. Okay. Yeah, no, we're good. Sounds good. Uh, what's the arena for? Roping. Uh, so this one's a hundred by hundred foot solid wall pen. We'll use it to work our horses on some cows and buffalo and then train the dogs as well. Okay. So work horses like just for ranch horses or, or what do you do there? Oh no. So I like to dabble a little bit in the reigning cow horse. I'm far from a professional at it. I just like to make good horses. And so, you know, you, We'll teach them how to cut and how to rate a cow, go down the fence. And and uh, I like this the, this cutting fence, 100 by 100 foot solid wall with angled corners. So, you know, the, the cow stays uh, moving pretty good because it can't see the outside. And then the horse kind of stays focused a little better. Oh, because it can't see the outside as well. Yes, sir. And then do you use... Uh... Do you raise buffalo, or you just buy buffalo for for that? Uh, so I just buy them. I just buy them. I haven't had any in a while, and we're going to, as soon as this pen's done, we're going to go buy some more. We've got a, a place here right on the Great Salt Lake. It's called Antelope Island, and they do a sell every year, so we'll go and buy out of there this year. Huh, and what's the benefit of training a horse to a buffalo? They stay fresh longer. Than uh, a cow. Okay, so kind of like roping a Corrini versus a Longhorn. You bet. Yeah, exactly. I see. Huh. And then do you use them on your for your dogs then too? No. no. I mean, I, I'll dog break them um, so that you know I I can move them around with the dogs, but I don't use them for training. Okay. Do they? I guess they jump more. Do they jump up? more like what do when you dog break a, a buffalo is it just the same as a cow or do they move differently no it's not that they move differently they uh, uh they react differently so uh a buffalo is going to do one of two things you know if you, if you buy if your dog bites a cow it might just stand there um or it might bite or it might run away a buffalo's either going to fight or run away and more often than not they're going to fight until they get dog broke and so you want to 
pretty strong dog to do it, but you need a pretty broke dog as well because they uh, if they just go in there and just start chewing on them, you're gonna have a wreck. Mm-hmm. So just like with training my cows that I get uh, to be dog broke, we just try to keep it nice and calm and cool and collected and and have the dogs you know bite when necessary and and then when the the buffalo move off the dog, we just leave them alone and. Uh, it works out pretty good. It makes it so that they're a little bit nicer to handle. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of pressure release, and and so that's just kind of kind of what we do here. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Uh, are those all border collies? Yes, sir. Yeah, I just uh, I just deal in border collies. Um, I like them. I think they're about the most versatile dog you can get. A cowbred border collie. There's a big difference between a sheep dog and a cow dog yeah. border collie. Uh, but yeah, these. I mean, these collies. They're tough enough that. I mean, you can send them out half a mile, three quarter of a mile, and they're tough enough to handle the the job when they get there. Yeah. Um, got a lot of distance. Um, no bark. We don't. We don't have any bark. Um, and you know. It's a personal preference for me not to have bark. It drives me nuts, but I think it keeps the cattle calmer when there's no barking. Yeah, I do not like uh, that in a in a dog. I don't like a dog to stand in a pen and bark either. But I think I don't know. <laughs> I think sometimes that just happens, but I do not like a dog that barks around cows. No, you know, and you're pushing a bunch of cows, and you have a dog on the back. And it lets out a bark. Well, now you've got, you know, let's say you're pushing 100 mama cows. Now you got 100 mama cows turning around to see what the heck bark. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to fight. And so I like a nice, quiet dog. Yeah. So do you, I guess, do you cowboy quite a bit for yourself, other people, use your dogs? What do you, like, how, how does that look? Yeah. So I used to cowboy for a living. And, uh, and then I started doing my own thing. I was still day working a lot for some folks and in some different places. And, and anymore, I'll go help a couple of folks uh, out, uh-huh. mostly in the spring and fall, you know, when they're putting cows on the mountain and, and when they're gathering off the mountain. But I, anymore, I just I, I kind of keep busy enough doing my own thing. I just uh, I just stick around my place and and do my own thing. And, uh, sometimes I miss, you know, going and day working or cowboying for a living, but I want to stop for a cheeseburger. Then I get to stop for a cheeseburger anymore. (laughs) I see. Uh, yes, sir. So like when you go push, push cows to a mountain, I mean, that's, I mean, this is all way out of what I, what I deal with or see. So what, (laughs) like, what does that look like? Uh, Oh yeah. So, uh, mo- most of the cattle are, are trucked around here, you know, from wherever they're at up to the mountain. Um, and it's usually, you know, take them to the foothills, depending on the permit that they're going on. And, and then, uh, yeah, you just unload them and, and pair them up, make sure they're, they're nice and paired up. And then you just start pushing them. And, uh, the guys that I, uh, help and, you know they uh, they've got a pretty good deal going on. They push them to the high country first, mm-hmm. and then uh, then they let them start you know grazing down, moving down. They kind of do a eh, like to say they're rotating them up there would would be pretty 
a loose term, you know. Yeah. Um, but the cows, the cows kind of do it themselves, you know. They, they utilize the feet up high, and then they, they kind of come down lower. And that way, in the fall, they're a little easier to gather. Um, but it's big country. Like the one guy I help, um, you know, he I think he's got around 150, 175 head. And his summer permit, which he runs on all by himself, you know, it's right around twenty five, thirty thousand acres, and, that's, and it won't really won't. It really won't handle many more cows than, than that hundred and fifty. And that's one big chunk, right? No, you have one big chunk. Uh, there's a couple of cross fences in there, um, and I'm sure back in the day they utilized them. They're 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 not really any good anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but yeah, there's a couple of cross fences in there, but. Uh, I would say that the smallest piece in there is probably, I don't know, right around 5,000, 6,000 acres. Holy cow. So um, you're pairing them up. So you're trucking them there in semis, and then do you turn out into some sort of trap to pair up, or do you just put them out into, you know, like a 100-acre piece, and then you just keep them held tight in a group with a dog? Yeah, so there's really no pens up there, um, and so, uh, you know, we'll just back up to a chute and unload them and, and then just kind of row deer them, you know, keep them all bunched together. It's usually two or three guys, and then I've got my dogs, and and uh, we'll just keep them all bunched together and, you know, until they're paired up, and, you know, that could take 25 minutes, could take an hour. We just, you know, we don't get in too big of a rush when we're trying to pair up cows. Having the dogs there, you know, I don't take young dogs that are out of control. I take pretty broke dogs, especially when I'm helping other people. And but just having the presence of a dog there really helps pair them up pretty quick. Yeah, because they want to hunt those calves up and get mm-hmm. with them, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. So that's all out and all out in the field. So there's a couple semis, and then they're just dumping them off cows, calves, and then you guys are just kind of holding them in a group to. Uh, so they just, you know, filter around in circle until they till they find them. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. We just kind of hold them. We give them a kind of a wide berth. You know, let them do a little bit of grazing. Um, uh, on this particular, you know, place where we unload, there's some water there, and so you know, we'll let them tank up, let them, you know, graze a little bit, find their calf, just kind of relax before we make the big push. It's yeah. probably. I don't know. As a crow flies, I don't know, three, three and a half mile push, but you're gaining elevation. So we're starting at about 5,800, you know, feet in elevation and, and going to about 7,500, 8,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So on that short distance, you're gaining quite a bit of elevation. Yeah, that's pretty steep then. Yeah, it's real steep. And, um, you know, probably the first mile, you know, you, you can kind of take them in a mob type setting and then as we start getting deeper into the mountain uh they've got a single file you know be side by side and, and just kind of single file up there just following some old cow trails there's not uh there's no roads going up there or anything like that yeah um how old are those calves when you start trailing them up there uh so that guy he calves in january and then in you know, we're pushing them up in May, usually around uh, Memorial Day. And so, you know, they're five months old, a good five months old. And then he's uh, putting bulls with them at that time 
and sending them up, or bulls have been out. Yeah, the bulls have been out. Uh, bulls have been since out. about the first of April. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, the- and so a, a good chunk of them have been bred, you know. Uh, yeah. By uh, by the time that they go up, but you know, he still sends bulls up, and uh, some guys don't pull their bulls all summer. This guy actually will, you know, he'll try to hunt down his bulls and, and pull them out. And so uh, uh, he, he likes a little bit tighter calving season, but there's guys out here that leave their bulls up there all summer, and you could have a calf in January or, or June. Yeah, and so she's calving up there then. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, places I've helped that, you know, when we gather in the fall, there's slick calves on the side of them cows. Mm-hmm. And so they're running, so those will be pretty good-sized calves when they come off in the fall what they'll be like if they're born in january do you come out in what october yeah right around october um and so last year i hauled his calves uh just a small group of his calves to the selborne and uh i want to say they were all steers and they were right around 680 uh pounds and these were ones that didn't fit the semi load and so uh you know they, they were a little uh smaller Mm-hmm. I want to say that once he shipped out, we're right around 700 pounds. But, yeah. you know, up, up there at the top of the mountain, you know, it, it gets really cool at night. Um, those cattle do really well, and the, the grass is excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so unlike here in the valley, you know, there's, there's sometimes in July and August that, you know, we won't get below 80 degrees at night. and It's kind of rough on the cows down here, but up there they do really well. Yeah. That's just just wild. I mean, <clears throat> I move cows daily, and my average paddock size is about ten acres. And uh, I have a problem. I had a problem this year with uh, calves would leave the cow herd at about a week of age. They would just they would be paired up. They'd move with the cow, and then all of a sudden, they would just up and leave and. Uh, a few days later, sometimes as long as six days later, I would find them, and they had traveled all the way back to the paddock that they were born in, and then they would oh, just really? and they'd just be standing there. So, like, I couldn't imagine what it would be like taking a <laughs> the cows three and a half miles up onto thirty thousand acres, and then uh, I don't. I don't know. It was, it was something weird. I I saw this year. I don't. I never had it before. But they were literally leaving the cow herd. Like I was pairing them up, and and then I would go back to uh, check on them, and then the calf would be nowhere in sight. Are you running uh, electric fence? Yeah, I run electric fence. Uh, most of it that I was running on on that was thirty three inches, so it'd be taller than the calf. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that that's quite the problem to have. I uh, uh, we 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 haven't really experienced that here uh, much, um, but you know, here it's a little different. You, you, I'm assuming you're calving on grass. Yep. Yeah, and so I, I like to calve on grass uh, myself, but a lot of guys here they're calving in you know January, February, and so. You know they're they're feeding hay, mm-hmm. and so them, them calves really 
you know, they're, they're usually, sometimes the cows drop them on the feed line. Sometimes they, they go to the brush, you know, a little ways off. But uh, for the most part, the, we, uh, the, the calves just kind of stick around the, the cow. And it's probably because they're, they're freezing their little tails off and they don't want to move. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that's quite the problem to have. What did you do to fix it? Uh, I, I'd find the calves and by the time I'd find the calves, I mean, some, some days, like I said, it was six days and it, I was looking for them every day and then just, I'd see them. And by the time I did find them, they were first calf heifers and they didn't want anything to do with their calves. So I oh, was, man. I was having to s- sell them, sell the calves. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not good. Yeah. I had, uh three of them like that this year oh really yeah um out of i think i calve 43 heifers so and i calve all in one one mob so my cows and my heifers they all calve together but oh do they yep how big is your calving window uh 60 days i'm on the tail end i got five more cows to go yeah, so you kept tight. Yeah, I'm going to uh, shorten it up to 45 days, too. There you go. I So I just, I'm actually taking my last set of pairs to the sale barn tomorrow. I'm completely selling out of the pairs, but um, I, uh, I, I shortened mine down this last year to 55 days. I was really happy with the results. Mm-hmm. Um, the calves that I hauled, you know, on the cow to the sale, they were all uniform. Yeah. And they all look good, but in, and it just made it so it was an easier calving season. Uh, as far as that goes, this it, our calving season was kind of hell this year. We weren't supposed to start calving until March 9th, which is about three weeks earlier than I like. Um, but I was running in common with a guy last summer, and he wanted to turn his bulls out on uh, June 1st, and so that's what we did. And uh, February 21st, we had a, a big blizzard come through and the pressure dropped and those cows just started spitting out calves and uh, February 21st in about a 10 hour span we got 33 inches of snow Uh, that was before I started drifting and so uh, I lost more calves this year than I than I ever had before and a lot of guys did a Mm -hmm. lot of guys around here are about 30 percent death loss holy cow Uh, yeah and then and then we also fed more hay than we've ever fed Mm -hmm. um because our cows were on grass, pretty good grass, but, you know, it, it, the snow got so deep they couldn't get to it. And then after the snow melted, the snow melted all in one day. Then it was so muddy that they were just they were just pushing that grass right in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah, that's a – we get a lot of mud, and that's a, that is a, a battle, you know, when grazing stockpile, especially on <clears> – <throat> in certain chunks so what i found is i move uh twice a day with with that and in like little strips that way they'll walk in a set they're not walking in an entire day's worth of feed all in the first two hours they'll walk in you know they'll eat neat neat and then they'll walk the rest the rest of that strip in and then i give them another one so i split their daily needs in half and I seem to to uh, get a better graze on it, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, so uh, the, 
the guy that kind of mentored me in, in uh, you know, the rotational grazing, he moves his twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's running, on average, I would say, on the cow side, he's running about 30 pair, oh, 15, 20 yearlings, and then about 200 head of sheep. And uh, he's moving them twice a day, and, and it's really improved the quality of his grass. When he took over the farm he's on, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it, it wasn't very good. And But now I think he has some of the best grass in the whole county. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he hasn't seeded it, you know, since the first year he took it over, and he hasn't, uh, he doesn't fertilize it. He, uh, you know, the cows do all the work and the sheep do all the work. Yeah, and just that kind of management has has changed his uh, forage, huh? Oh yeah, it's changed. It's changed the whole biology of his soil. Um, you know, he, he's where his farm's at. It's pretty salty. Um, the water's salty, but he's able to grow. You know, he's got fescue, clover, you know, brome. Um, he's got a bunch of you know cool season and warm season grasses in there, and. Uh, and so he's able to keep, you know, his animals on forage, you know, probably nine to 10 months out of the year here. And, uh, with most people, you know, you're six to seven. Mm-hmm. So he's able to save a lot of money. Yeah. He doesn't have to sell his animals with feed. That's crazy. And, uh, <clears throat> where, where are you exactly? And where's this, where's this guy in relation to you? So uh, we're both in Tooele County here in Utah, and so uh, we're west of uh, Salt Lake City, so directly south of the Great Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I live south of him about, I don't know, 20 miles. He lives more towards the Great Salt Lake um, in a little town called Erda. That's where his farm is, is in Erda. And then I live south of a town called Stockton. Okay. Uh, both really small you know, type towns. Um, the main town in the county is Tooele. And, uh, yeah, there's about 20 miles that separate us. And uh, he's he's got better ground where he is, even though it, it, it is salty. My ground's salty, too. Um, but we're, we're trying – I just bought my place, and so we're really trying to improve the ground. I planted it this last winter, and and uh, I'm actually not going to graze it at all. I'm just going to let, let it grow. I don't have irrigation on it yet. So I'm just going to let it grow, um, and then this fall I'll no-till in some more seed, and uh, and then I'll actually fertilize it. I'm not a really big fan of uh, artificial fertilizer, but um, I'm going to fertilize it, and then I'll fertilize it next spring, and then uh, this is like a five-year process, and then hopefully we'll be able to change the biology of our soil enough to where we can actually grow something worth you know some value. Yeah. And th- this coming spring, so right now you don't have any any cattle. No, so I do. So we, okay. uh, uh, yeah. So we, we were we, we were kind of changing our program. Um, so what I did is I, uh, oh, in about 2019, I sold the beef cows that I had, and I went and bought a whole bunch of coriannies. But I was really picky about the coriannies that I bought. I, I wanted a bigger, deep-bodied coriani. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's because the, the ground I run on, the grasses, I mean, they're, they're, some of them aren't very palatable, and, and they've really got to work for a living. Um, and I just barely got these leases, hadn't had a chance to really try to change them. 
Um, you know, and then I crossed them on uh, some Angus bulls um, that had a high gut capacity, you know, that were kind of low input type bulls. Yep. And uh, those resulting heifers, I, I kept all the F1 heifers, uh, crossed them on a, an Angus bull, same type. Uh, the, the, you know, their, their first uh, year and the calves out of them were, were remarkable. They were on average, we were at 53%. Uh, they weaned 53% of their body weight, you know, as a first calf heifer, so I was pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, I, I, I bred them to a Charlet bull, and, uh, man, the, the calves out of them, they, they came out, you know, small. They, they, the cows didn't have any trouble having them, and uh, and then they just started to explode. But the, the udders on these F1s were just like the udders on the Coriani. They were nice, tight bags that refilled quickly. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but these cows were a little were different than their mothers in the sense that they actually had a high gut capacity and they could store a lot of feed in there, where the, the Coriani's they really didn't work very well for the rotational grazing deal, at least what we found because it was almost like they could never get full because they didn't have that gut capacity. Um, yeah. So that's, that's that's what we found and. So that's what I that's that's what I that's what I raised. That's what I started with. I'm I'm a first generation guy. Um, you know, my family were horse trainers. You know, but not not cow guys. Um, and uh, so I'm a first generation guy. That's how I got into it. But this winter uh, really ruined me for wanting to have pears because I I fed a grundle of money in hay and and uh, my my pastures are really set up for summering cattle, but not wintering cattle. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent for, you've got to, you've got to make your operation fit your ground. Yep. So we, uh, we're, we're, we've moved into a short term cattle deal. Um, we, uh, buy, our plan was just to buy way up cows, you know, skinny way up cows coming off the desert and summer them. And, you know, get them nice and fat, you know, they're done growing frame. My grass is really good, you know, till about the middle of July. And I got some alfalfa, some wild alfalfa in there for some protein and just fatten them up and then just send them to the, the, the kill plant. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we bought some, but what we found was uh, here locally, the, the four weights that are a little rough looking, they need, you know, they need a little bit of TLC, some multi-men and some, some warmer, they're on sale right now. Yeah, you know, six weights. Uh, last Tuesday, six weights were going for two forty a pound, and and some of these uh, what I call number two four weights, they uh, they were going for a dollar sixty to a dollar eighty a pound. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of margin there as long as you're willing to to get them you know right and and uh, put them on some good grass. Yeah. So that's what we've been buying. And I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go tomorrow and buy some more. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting those lined out, and I mean, that kind of fits with some of what you like to do, which would be, I guess, more of the, the cowboying and catching them and, and stuff like that, right, and the riding of them. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we me and my hired guy, we try to go over there every day. Um, most days we're taking a horse and we're riding through, doctoring what needs doctored. Um I do have a portable corral set up with a chute. And so, you know, 
Uh, on some things, we will take them to a shoot if, if they're close. Yeah. Um, and but most times we're we're roping and doctoring them. And uh, if if it's the deal, is what I like to do a little bit better, a little more involved. Um, you know, I I kind of like to be oh I don't know involved in the process a little more. Um, and and then it also fits uh, my main goal, which is. I want to make these buggers make me money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I, uh, I, I, I supplemented that first year. I, I bought those cows. I, I think I bought about 140, you know, I supplemented them with my dog income and, and I decided, yeah, I ain't doing that again. Mm-hmm. And so I tried doing everything I could do just to have them, you know, pay for themselves and pay me a wage. Um, cause I, I got enough hobbies. Cows don't need to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you get these calves, uh, you're, how big of an area are you turning them out in? And are you just comb Like, so if you go and you buy a trailer load tomorrow, do you just turn them into the set that you've already got lined out or that you're lining out or do you keep them separate? No. So it really depends on how many I buy. If I, so I've got a, I've got an okay corral, portable corral. And, uh, I can fit comfortably with room to move around. You know, I can fit about 50, 60 head of five weights in there. And, and, uh, I do, you know, I, I try to keep a trough with some water in those corrals. Mm-hmm. And like, if I buy some tomorrow, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll turn them in there and, uh, overnight. And what, what that's doing is I've got a little bit of hot wire set up in there and, they can uh, they can get accustomed to that hot wire because anytime they go to water, they're going to see it yeah. uh, in that corral. And and then, you know, I'll process them. And then uh, we actually just, we're not set up really to, to keep them separate for any longer than that. So I set them up and uh, I, I just take them to where my cows are. And I've got my cows in some, uh, the pasture they're in now, it's got barbed wire fence all the way around it. Um, and it's about, 500 acres and i've been giving them about six to eight acres a day okay and like a strip grazing with poly yep yep got some poly there and um i uh i could probably do it tighter and i probably should um and and next year i probably will we've just had a very busy spring and so i kind of had to uh you know, weigh the, the benefits versus, you know, the benefits of, of the other stuff I had to get done. And so uh, it's not as tight as I want them. Eventually, I, you know, also it depends on the number of animals you have, the the number that's out there. So there's about 40 head of yearlings out there right now, and then and then uh, a bunch of cows. And, and so I'll probably, I'll probably count 55 head of cows. So that eight acres, honestly, if I was moving them twice a day, I could, I could bump, probably cut that in half Yeah. and, uh, and do four acres at a time. And I'd get a lot better manure cover over the ground and, and, uh, and they'd eat, they'd eat a little more of the undesirable plants. Yeah. You know, he, how my mentor put it, my mentor's name is Brad Bunderson. So how Brad puts it is when he puts them tight not you know they they can't just eat the ice cream they got to eat the broccoli too yep yep you increase the competition for forage right yeah exactly yeah um Um, 
And so those are so your your four weight calves are also running with your your way up cows because that's what you yep. started with. But while you were looking for those, you realized that uh, the four weights were going to make you maybe more money. Yes, sir. Yep. And yeah, the profit margins seem to be you know higher on them. Granted, the market holds, which I think this year it will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got everything mixed right now. My. I could separate them. In fact, my grass is kind of getting ahead of me, and I, I should separate them. Uh, our limiting factor is water. None of, none of my pastures have water, mm-hmm. and so I have to haul water in. And you know, I've got a big uh, semi tanker that I haul water with, and and uh, hauling to all those different pastures. It would be a if I split them up like that, it would be an everyday ordeal. Yeah. Uh. Did you learn kind of some of that stuff from like Doug Ferguson or Wally Olson, or is it just kind of self-taught or like the buy-sell type marketing? Oh, so I've, um, like I've never ever attended any, uh, any schools like that Wally puts on or anything like that. Um, but I have read a bunch of his literature you know, that's been on Facebook and a little bit on his website and stuff like that. And, and, uh, it, it, it kind of resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brad Bunderson, you know, he, he's big into the, the sell by approach, um, not the buy sell approach. Okay. Um, and so the sell by approach is, is, uh, he explains it best, but you know, you, 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 you let's say you're, you're uh, selling eight weights and you never get out of the market and you, you go and buy four weights. And then the difference between the two, that's your, that's your profit margin. Um, to a, bankers don't like the sell buy approach because it, it seems like you're never making any money, but in all reality, you, you know, you are, mm-hmm. um, on, on paper, you're probably not in, uh, in the real world you are, you know, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I got started was in college, I was starving and I was, I don't know, I was just probably too stupid to go flip burgers. I, I, I kind of refused to go flip burgers and lived in a college town where the competition for a job was pretty high. And so I just noticed at the sale barn, there was a local sale barn and there was one about almost 20 miles away. I noticed that any time that the cows, uh, a group of calves came in and the, the big order buyers split one or two off. Those one or two, they sold for for less money. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they were the, the same, maybe a little lighter, maybe a little heavier, but they always sold for, you know, right around 15 to 20 cents off the big group. Yeah. And so that was just an observation I made. And so I started uh, buying those singles. And then I'd take them home and I'd put together a group. And then I'd take them back to the, to the sale barn or I'd go to the other sale barn with them. And they'd sell as a group and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd make 15 cents on them. Yeah. And, and that, that put me through college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of got away from that. You know, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm going to be a cow guy. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get some pears and that's, that's what we do around here. And then I went to the a ranching for profit seminar that Mal Peterson hosted. Okay. And I blame Mal for everything I do now, good or bad, because that school changed my my whole mentality when it come to uh, come to doing everything. That I mean, Dave Pratt just sat there and and I felt like he was looking right through me and said, 
you know, are you, are you a hobby hobbyist or are you a businessman? Mm -hmm. And so I came home and I've got two other businesses and I completely restructured everything. My other two businesses, I, I started, you know, create, you know, recreating this cow deal on paper uh, as far as the short term cattle and, and running numbers and, you know, looking at 10 year averages in our region. And, uh, so, you know, I, I had done it before out of necessity. Yeah. Um, but, but now I'm doing it because I understand the process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that, that, that ranching for profit deal, um, it was, it was a real eye opener. Yeah. And I hope to attend a, uh, an actual, a full length school here at, if not this fall, next spring. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's on my list. Hopefully I said it was going to be this spring. Spring happened. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be this fall or, or mm -hmm. early winter. So, yeah, I think they've got a lot to offer. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, it's relatable in non, non agricultural businesses as well. The one business I have has nothing to do with agriculture and, it's a heavy equipment business and, and I applied the principles that Dave, you know, taught there. And it was just a one day seminar and I, I, I tried to be a sponge and just soak it all in, but I came home and applied those principles and, and it's been a real big benefit to the business. Yeah. Those, uh, those one dayers and, or just any kind of, uh, seminar or education thing. I mean, that, those are very, uh, impactful, I think. Oh, they are. And, and, uh, it was a, it was a good way to see what they had to offer, you know, cause I, I've, I've heard of the ranching for profit schools and I, I knew that they had to have had some value cause I know a lot of guys have went and they said it was a great deal. I just couldn't see that value. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I couldn't see taking a week off, you know, away from the place and going to a school and, but now because I got a little bit of a taste of it, I mean, I, I, I didn't even get a taste. I got a little crumb of it. Um, and, and now I can see the value. And so, uh, I think those one day seminars are, are great for producers to like myself to go to just to get an idea that, Hey, yeah, this is the real deal. You need, you know, if you want to be a business, you've got to, you've got to further your education just like anything else. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Um, and that was at, uh, mall Peterson's. Yeah, so they actually did it at the rodeo grounds there in, in the county that he lives in, just south of us. Okay, and he's going to be, uh, I think, I, I just talked to him last week or the week before, I so I think his episode as of right now will come out b before yours, just uh, one episode ahead. So. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then you had, you had Court Pugsley on. Yes, sir. Um, he, he, he lives north of me. Okay. And... Uh, and, uh, he, uh, he's the type of, you know, what, what he's got going on. I don't know why every, uh, you know, he, he's kind of a, he, you know, he does the seed stock stuff, yep. um, raising bulls, but, but he's very commercial cattleman minded. And so I wish, uh, I, I hope a lot of people listen to what he had to say because what he's got going on could benefit 99% of the people, at least in our state, I think. Yeah. I I got quite a bit of feedback from his of people really really enjoying it and uh what he had to say yeah 
Yep. He's very sharp, I think. He is, yeah. Um, he's, he's a good egg. He raises good horses, too. I don't know if you've mentioned that on his. No, he didn't talk about that. Yeah, he, he likes the, the part draft horses. And he, I guess cowboys on them? Yep. It, what kind of horses do you ride? Um, so I've got some, some part draft horses, you know, half drafts that I ride. And then most of mine are, are kind of modern bred, you know, uh, a little mostly cut and bred quarter horses. I see. I don't know much about yep. them. Some days I do all my stuff on a four-wheeler, and if I got to rope something, I'm hopping off, chasing after it on foot, and then tying it to a tree. Oh, yeah. See, I think you guys that ride four-wheelers are talented because I'd kill myself. <laughs> I know that I, I'd die on a four-wheeler. <laughs> see, I think the guys that ride horses, I know I'd be missing fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh... – my fiance's dad, he's missing part of his thumb because he got his thumb stuck in the dally. Yeah, that's what I've heard happens. Um, Mal said something about, uh, he said he was, he dallied on something, I guess in your presence, and you made a comment about not dallying to to rubber. Is that is that oh yeah well i don't even know yeah. what that really means but yeah so and it's a personal preference really um you know, you know there's a lot of guys out there that are really handy handier than me that, that dally on rubber so they have rubber on their saddle horns okay and uh and they're really handy at it um for me and, the, and then the the guys that i'm around we dally on a slick horn so we have you know mule hide or chap leather or elk hide you know uh, around our horn and that's what we dally on for me um it's all about the, the horse and the cow and so like if i if at a branding uh if the calf is is kind of you know post-legged kind of just dragging in the ground i can slip a little rope on a on a slick horn mm-hmm. and uh kind of relieve a little bit of stress on that calf where the a rubber horn I mean, maybe some guys can do it, but I can't slip any any uh, rope on a rubber horn. I mean, it's pretty sticky. Okay, um, and so by slip slipping a rope, you're giving it slack, basically, right? Oh, sorry, I lost you for a second. What was that? So when you say slip a uh, slip the rope, that you're giving it sl- uh, slack, or yeah, relieving so a little pressure. Yep, yep. So you're just you're just increasing the distance between you and the calf, you know, um, and so you're not pulling on them quite as hard. Okay. Uh, well, while keeping a lot it of guys, tight. yep, while keeping it tight, and you know, a lot of outfits out here, uh, myself included, we we head and heal everything. Um, but there's also a lot of outfits that use what's called a Nord fork. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. Nope. Um, so it's a it's a fork type system that's hooked to an inner tube that's hooked to a rope that's staked in the ground. Okay. And uh, you you go and uh, the ropers heal a calf, and then they drag it past those forks, and the a person on the ground crew will place the Nord fork over the calf's head, and then you, you pull the calf till he's tight, and then you turn your horse around, you hold the calf, and they process the calf. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, with a slick horn, you know, uh, you can slide rope so you're not stretching that calf in half you know, still maintaining that tight pressure that you need so the calf doesn't kick his ropes off, mm-hmm. um, to kick the rope off anyway. Or with rubber, 
I've seen it. You know, I've had a couple guys show up to my brandings with with rubber horn, and oh, those calves get up and they limp. Um, they're sore for days after, and you can always pick out the ones that have been roped. Um, well, at least the guys that I'm around with rubber is they, uh, they the rubber has no give to it, and so those calves are just getting stretched in half. Yeah, and so you're heading, and then you're healing, and then that's your restraint while you brand and cut and do all that. Yeah, so you have the header that you know the head of the calf, mm-hmm. and then uh, you'll have the healer come in and heal it. Um, we, you know. There's a lot of people that come to my Brandon that uh, are young and experienced, and so we will accept a, a single leg. A lot of a lot of guys don't like if you you just catch a single leg. You know, if, if you see if you see that you're going to catch a single, you know, kind of shake it loose, and another healer will, will come in behind you and try to pick up two legs. Um, yeah, you never you never go tight on like a high hawk, any any rope above the hawk, you know, because of the tendons and ligaments right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so the, the header heads it, the healer comes in and heals it, um, and then they, you know, they drag it to the, the ground crew, and then uh, they'll lay the calf on the side, and the ground crew will take the the head rope off and put it on the front feet, and then uh, that's how they restrain it, is by the front feet and the, the back feet while the ground crew is processing that calf. Okay. So I didn't realize there was all the, the rules about, you know, Catching it on back legs and how high and number, you know, having both feet. And... Oh yeah, it, there's a it, it's brand, you know, it's it, it's just etiquette is what it is. Uh huh. Um, there's no written rule about it, and every place is different. And you know, as you go to different places and you go there a couple of years, you you start to learn their etiquette. But as a general rule, there are certain rules that uh, rules of etiquette that you could try to follow at every place you go to. Um, just so you get invited back. Yeah. Well, are there any others? Like, Oh yeah. So one of them that, um, is, uh, when you when you rope a calf in the herd on a head and heel branding, uh, don't just let that calf windmill around your horse. Um, you know, try to drag it straight to the fire mm-hmm. and that way the healer has a nice straight shot at the calf. The calf's got some travel to it. So it's easier to pick up the back legs, uh, or the back feet. And, uh, and, and, you know, if the healer misses, um, like the etiquette of my branding and not everyone's like this, if the healer misses, the, the header just, you know, follows that calf, you know, pops his dallies or even holds his dallies and, and follows that calf, uh, with no tension on that rope back to the herd, waits for another healer to get ready and then d- does it again. And that way that calf's not standing there getting choked out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, a big one is, is if someone does bring a single leg in, always pull the tail. You know how we lay the calf down is you you pull the tail down, um, you pull the, the calf of the, the tail of the calf, and uh, the header slides a little rope. And with those two, uh, uh, doing those two things with a little bit of momentum, that calf will kind of flip on its side. Yep. But uh, always pull the tail on the side that the leg is is roped. Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a big one. Because then that pulls it over faster. That pulls it over, yep. And then do you put, uh, then does the person that's pulling the tail over, is he putting the rope on the other leg then? Yep, yep. And uh, and then, you know, you'll, you'll generally put the rope on the on the other leg and then you'll, you'll hold the rope tight 
and so the roper can get short. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can coil back his rope and then dally short to the calf. Yeah. Uh, same with the header. And then are you – you're, I'm assuming you're going to knife cut those. You're not. You're not putting a green Cheerio on them. Uh, actually, you know, more and more people I see are putting bands on them. Really? Yep. Yep. I uh, I didn't go to. So I went to five outside Brandon's this spring, and not one of them was a knife cut branding. Well, uh, why is that? Um, I think it's, I know for a couple of the brandings I went to, the specific reason was for, uh, because of the bugs, because of the flies. Mm. Um, you know, if you knife cut them, they, uh, you, you know, you have that open wound and, you know, the flies can get into it and, and, uh, we've got a lot of water this year. And so we've got a lot of bugs. Yeah. Is that, um, I'm told. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to ask, is that flies and mosquitoes? Like, are mosquitoes that, or what are there other types of bugs around water that are causing? Oh, yes, yeah. so we've got, we've got mosquitoes. Uh, we've got, you know, deer flies. We've got horn flies, you know, just regular black fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got gnats. Um and especially, you know, if you're within any sort of proximity to the Great Salt Lake, you know, like here at my place, much past sundown, you want to you want to start heading to the house because the mosquitoes are going to get pretty thick. Mm-hmm. And then during the day, we've got the deer flies that like to bite you. Yeah. And so, uh, and I'm torn on on what's best for a calf. I've done both. Yep. You know, you can have the knife cut, and it you know hurts for a day. Then they generally tr- start to get over it pretty quick, or you can have the, you can band them and and they can lay around for a couple days in agony, and then you know then they they generally get up and are pretty good, and you know thirty days later the the sack falls off, and so I'm I'm pretty torn on it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I mean I've gone back and forth. It depends. I had a bad batch of uh, green Cheerios one time. And so I had to mm. go through, and I had a lot of go through and clean up a few of those. And, oh yeah! And so I went more with, uh, you know, a knife cut, and I used a Newberry knife. But lately, I've been using a pocket knife, and I really like it. It seems to do a pretty nice job. And yeah, and I, I you know, so I worked for, uh, well, I did my internship in college for Trail Creek Land and Livestock, which is a uh, a leg, you know, it, it, it's a ranch that's owned by ag reserves. You know, they, uh, the largest landowner in the United States, the, the LDS church. Okay. Um, and, uh, I want to say that the ranch when I was up there had 3,500, 4,000 head. And so we, we branded a lot of calves and, and, uh, you didn't see too much trouble up there with it, with knife cutting. I have been to some, that the, the person that was cutting them got a little too deep and they, they herniated and, and had their intestines fall out, you know. Yeah. Um, I have seen that a little bit, but I think that, you know, knife cutting, as long as you you, know, you make a clean cut and you you make sure you get all the fat, you know, you, you pull it, you know, you pull it so the cord comes and then you, you trim the fat around it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good way to go. I know that around here, um, some buyers will give a premium for knife cut calves. Yeah. And that way they they know that, you know, when they go to the lot 
there's not going to be a, a steer with one nut. Yeah. You know, I guess or a bull with one nut. Mm-hmm. But like me, you know, I, I buying calves. I love when a bull calf comes in because, uh, I, I'm always going to get them at a discount. Yeah. And how I, how I castrate them is I use a calicrate bander mm-hmm. and then I end up splitting the sack. I, I split the sack at the bottom after I put that calicrate band on, give them a shot, a, you know, a tetanus shot. And, and man, I haven't had any trouble with that. <laughs> and, uh, and you just split it at the bottom, nothing else. Yeah, nothing else. I, I want it to be able to drain, okay. you know, because that calicrate bander just works like a, you know, a, a Cheerio. It's going to cut off circulation, but it's going to swell. Yeah. And so I found, I used to not split it, but I found that the the cattle were, you know, they're losing weight. You know, they're stressed. They're going to they're going to lose weight, but they lose less if I split that sack. Yeah. I and uh, I'll do that all the way up to a thousand pound, you know, yearling bulls that come through. Hmm. I haven't. I've well, never been around a calicrate band. I've heard about them, um, <clears throat> but I've never personally used one. Our vet, one of the vets I use, has a Henderson tool. I don't know if you've seen one of those. And it. No, I haven't. And it kind of twists, you know, twists the cord, and so it, oh. it stops the bleeding. You know, you knife cut them, and then you it twists the cord to quit the bleeding and then you just kind of twist the nut off and oh really yeah i haven't seen that i'm gonna have to look that up it it worked pretty good i uh caught a yearling bull a couple weeks ago and i mean that that afternoon he was a little sore but the next day he was i mean you couldn't even you couldn't tell he was grazing and moving right with everybody else Oh no, kidding! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up. I I know when I was in college and we get them in. And I had a rinky dink set up. You know, I like I said, I was I was starving in college, and so I was just doing what I could to get by. And but we used we I knife cut everything, and I was using the the masculators. You ever been around them? Yeah, I've heard about it. I I have not seen one in action. Yeah, so you just you know you. you you pull that testicle out and you, you push up the skin and then you put that emasculator on and it, it crushes the cord mm-hmm. and then you just hold it and give it a chance to clot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, you just, uh, pull it out. Yeah. On, uh, those brandings, uh, is most people like a propane hot iron or like a hot iron and a propane deal or is f- fire or, or electric? Well, you know, one guy I go help brand, you know, he, he like he likes to be old school, you know, he, he likes the tradition aspect of it. So he does a wood a wood fire. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of propane, you know, stoves, um but a lot a lot of guys are going to the electric iron. Yeah. I got yep, been using one recently and it's it's pretty dang handy. I'm not gonna lie. I like them. You know, I can I can maintain consistent heat and just do one after another. Yeah. Yep. That's, I really, really like it. I mean, I do it more for kind of, I don't even know if I can call it tradition, but (laughs) I, you know, I like to uh, do as much cow work as I can. (laughs) Sure. Well, and you know, uh, like, 
the guy I go help with the, that uses just a, a wood, you know, he, he just makes a wood fire. You know, sometimes you're waiting on a hot iron. Yeah. You know, if there's three calves at the fire at the same time, you're, you're probably going to be waiting on an iron. Um, and, he, you know, he could have a bigger fire and have more irons, um, but, you know, he doesn't. And so, you know, you're waiting for that iron to heat up. And, and sometimes the iron's not, you know, consistently hot all the way through, so the brand will be a little spotty. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you have to respect the tradition aspect of it. I mean, you know, that's the way they did it for forever. And so trying to keep that alive, you know, I can respect that. Yeah. Um, oh. for me, I just, I, I, it's not that I want to get done quick. It's that I want consistency throughout the whole process. Yeah. And, uh, I, I like uniformity and I'm really really anal in particular about my about my brands you know i want them to look good yeah yeah i i agree consistency look good i mean Mm -hmm. not all mine look good but it's a work in progress oh yeah yeah shoot some of the cows i'm selling now i had way too big of an iron when i branded them as you know you know two month old calves and their brand is if you took a ruler, it's probably two and a half feet by two and a half feet. I mean, it's uh, it, it really grew with them. Yeah. Um, on so like you go to like the guy that uses the wood fire to heat his brand, right? You said you went to five brandings this spring. Mm-hmm. Um, that is more there. Those aren't like paid, right? Those are more. I'm helping you at yours and you know it gets me you know i get to use horses you know my horse and young horses and stuff like that or or are those paid i've been to a couple that you get paid you know they're they're big they're it's a big day um and they'll they'll pay day wages to come help but but for the most part around here um you're just uh you're just helping out a neighbor yeah and i mean it's also like in a like a holiday, I guess, right? Everybody wants to go. Oh yeah, it's a big event. I mean, you know, it's 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 a big production, is what it is. You know, you'll have a big branding, and you usually got you know a little little tiny breakfast there. You know, coffee and and uh, hot chocolate and donuts type thing, and and then uh, after you get done, there's there's a big meal after. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then- and then that's kind of every place I go is they kind of follow that same program. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, sometimes the meal is better than Thanksgiving or Christmas. Yeah. I believe that too. Yeah. Last year I went to a branding and they had it catered. Uh, they had a barbecue company cater it and they were, they were smoking briskets and ribs. And I mean, it was a, it was a hell of a deal. I ate better there than I do at my own house. <laughs> yeah. They should have a branding every day, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'd be there. Um, you know, there's part of the country, there's places in the country where a guy can, can go to Brandon's and, 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 and work, you know, cows every day that aren't his, but not work for one particular guy, just day work. And he can make a good living at it. This place where, where I'm at, is just not one of those places. Um, it, uh, around here, the, we have a very strong, uh, you know, help the neighbor mentality. Yeah. And you know Utah is getting more and more urban. I mean, every year, it is, uh, you know, the city people are just kind of expanding everywhere, and and they, you know, 
some of them, they, they want to, you know, they want to have horses. They think that the cowboy lifestyle is cool and they want to come help. And, and so we get a lot of those people that come and help too. And some guys are annoyed by it. For me, I'm like, heck, you know, the, the more people that we can get involved, the, the better off we are in the long run. That's the way I see it. Yeah. The more they're going to understand, right. And kind of the, maybe some of the help stop the sprawl, the urban sprawl, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and help some of the misinformation that spreads so rapidly, rapidly these mm. days. Yeah. That's a good point too. I didn't think about that. Yeah. The cows are bad. That type of stuff. Yeah, cows are bad. We're abusing them. And um, I actually know a lady, and she's been a family friend forever. And she, she I'm not going to lie. I won't mention names because she might hear this, and, and she wouldn't like it. But she, she was what I would classify as an animal rights activist. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she was a very vocal, uh, vulgar person when it came to it. And she bought a little five-acre you know, what they call a ranchette around here. And, and she just decided I'm going to go buy me some cows as pets only. And she went and bought some, some Texas longhorn steers and these buggers, she had them for five or six, seven years and they got big (laughs) and, and they were so gentle and tame and so big, they became, uh, you know, a danger to her. And she called me one day. She's like, I need these buggers gone. Come and get them. And so we uh, we took the dogs up and loaded them in the trailer. And she gave me a hug. And she told me, she's like, I now understand why you guys eat them. <laughs> <laughs> and so just that one little experience that she had changed her whole mentality. And I wish more people would experience it. Because I tell everyone all the time, I said, if you work cows, especially the cell barn cows, uh, you'd understand in a hurry why we eat them. Yeah. Yep. And as, yeah, people aren't exposed to that, right? It just, uh, but they want to talk about it like they know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, They everyone has an opinion these days, and, and everyone thinks their opinion is the, is the you know, the, the fact of it. And, and uh what they don't realize is if they would just take the time to actually learn a little bit, open their mind up, um, it would open their eyes immensely and they'd actually see a completely different side of it. And then they'd probably actually be able to give a factual based opinion. Yeah. Yep. On, uh, like a day, day worker, day wages, how, how is that typically like, paid out is it you buy the it I, i'm assuming it's by the day and so like if you would take a dog do you charge or you take one dog or three dogs do, does each of your dogs get paid as well well so it really depends on who i'm going to work for um so like right now uh kind of insulting myself but i don't think i get invited for my cowboy and skills anymore i think i get invited for my dogs yeah and, uh, so for me to, for me to leave home and go and help, I'm 150 a day for myself. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm, if it's just me and you know, depending on the job and I, I take dogs, I don't charge per dog, but I do have a dog fee and that's $75. Oh, flat fee in addition to. 
Yes, sir. And the reason why I quit day working a lot was because, yeah, I'm getting a $75 fee, but one of my, those dogs gets killed. Granted, they're insured. Um, I'm still out a lot of money. And so is the $75 really worth it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was, you know, wondering. Cause I mean, they're hiring you for your dog, right? Per se. A dog, yep. your dog can cover more ground than probably two guys. Right. Or three person. Oh yeah. And then, so if you look at it that way, shouldn't your dog be making uh 450 bucks? But, yeah, I, I wish that was the mentality. <laughs> or, or maybe let's say he's going to do the work of, th- uh, of three guys, but you only charge him out for two, you know. But uh, it seems like people don't want don't don't to pay a dog that, even though he's saving them a ton of money. Oh, yeah, and, you know, it's getting better. I will say it's getting better. People are starting to see the, the value of dogs. Dogs are worth a lot of money these days, a good one. Yeah, and so ranchers are seeing the value in it. But as far as day working goes, you know, like I, you know, I got a phone call. I think it was last fall. I've never talked to this guy before, and he said, "Hey, I heard you got some good dogs. I, I've got some cattle." He's like, "We may, already made our big gather, but I can't get these ones." And there's about 15 head out. And I said, "Okay, how big's the, you know, the area that we'll be covering?" He's like, "Oh, you know, they, they could be anywhere in about 11,000 acres." I said, "Okay, you know, because you say 11,000 acres, but you know." really there's only so many places they can be because some places are too steep. Some places don't have water, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I'm like, okay, well, this is what I charge. And they're like, Oh man, I, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, well, Hey, you know, those 15 cows, they got 15 calves on them. And you know, back then, you know, last year we're about 600, $700 a calf. And I said, I'll get them home. You know, I, if it takes me a day, two days, three days, I'll get them home. And then you can get your check off the calves. And, and uh, he him hawed around. He ended up hiring me to go do it. But uh, the, the mentality, it's gotten better, but there's still that mentality there. But, oh, you know, I don't want to pay extra for the dogs. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to pay that much for day wages because, I mean, I don't know what other people charge. You know, like I said, I charge 150 but I heard there's some guys getting paid 100 and um and $50 doesn't seem like a lot, but some guys there, you know, some guys are, are, have a lot of money cause they're tight, you know? Yeah. And they will spend $50 probably wearing the same underwear from 1983. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but, but the mentality is changing quite a bit. And, and it's apparent because, you know, I've had guys, I don't know if they're joking with me or if they're serious. I, I kind of wish to hope they're joking, but they might be serious. And they, they said, you know, they said, we like you, Michael, but, you know, we, we, we have you here because of your dogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're riding through the sagebrush or whatnot, you kind of think about that. You're like, I think he just pissed down my back and told me it was raining or something like that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure that was one of them backhanded compliments. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> as you got three dogs doing the work of nine guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, and I, I don't mind going and working with a crew. I prefer working alone. Um, I feel like I, you know, I can cover more ground and my, my dogs can get more done when it's just, when it's just ourselves. 
Yeah, like dog etiquette while riding with a group of guys. How many guys are trying to tell your dogs what to do? Um, In the beginning, probably a few. I've had it happen. And then, you know, after a quick explanation from me, uh, you know, I uh, they, they tend to not want to do it anymore. Um, but the, the big thing is, you know, when we're pushing cattle, you know, especially up the mountain, you know, people are whistling, which I control my dogs with a whistle or they're using the shush command, you know, and you know, that that's kind of a universal dog command. Yeah. Almost everyone uses it. And, uh, and so it, it takes a, it takes a lot of micromanaging, um, on these really broke dogs that, that are really in tune with your commands to be able to work with a crew like that. Yeah. Um, cause a sh- kind of the universal shush command, right. And that, uh, like a, like a get after them, push them, push them harder. Yep. Yep. They're, they're wanting to get kind of chargy and, and not wanting to rate as well. Cause they're like, Hey, you're telling me to, mm-hmm. you know, cause my shush and, and your shush, they, they're probably sound a lot alike. Yeah. Especially um, with a, and, guys yelling and or hollering and cows bawling and everything else. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And I like working alone because so I, I, I have three different sets of commands on dogs. And so I can place, you know, three different dogs in three different areas and I can have one cover on the left side, one up ahead, you know, bending them and the other one cover in the back um, or sending one up to the right on a draw, one up to the left type of deal. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but when you get a whole crew together, it gets hard, at least for my brain, to to, to manage all of that. Yeah, because you have to watch out for what those that other guy is going to be doing, which is going to affect how those cows are going to raid off your dog, right? Yep. Yep. And I like a really strong, tough dog. Um, and and not everyone likes them. And, and, and that's, a, that's a preference thing, right? Because strong, tough dogs aren't for everyone because – if you, if they're not trained right they're they're more headache than they're worth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of times when I'm with a crew, a couple other guys will have dogs and they might be really good dogs, um, but they might not be really good dogs and they'll start a fight. And then my dogs have to finish the fight. If that makes sense, their dog is checked it out and no longer in the fight. And then, but my dogs have to finish it. And so by, by the end of the day, my dogs are just cooked. They're done. Mm. yeah no i know it yeah i i I think i'm tracking so they're not going to start a fight with your own dog they're going to start kind of something to get the cow to fight right yeah they're going to go in and and cheap shot a cow and i say cheap shot you know if a cow's moving away and not balling up it does not need to be bit Mm -hmm. but you know some dogs the dogs i'm referring to you know they'll go in they'll just bite a heel and then you've got a cow turning around, you know, Bellerin. And then you got ten cows turning around Bellerin. And then that dog's checked out. And now my dogs are left to, to clean up the mess. Yeah, I have a dog that my main dog likes to start them and then finish them. Yep. But she's my first dog I trained, and she's seven, six and a half. And so, like, I don't even know. I, like, I, I think that's just a part that I've recognized that is going to be the way she is till she dies. But oh yeah, you know, and, and a dog can learn anything and keep learning, you know, throughout its whole life. But habits are so hard to break. The six, seven year old dog, she just kind of is what what she is, and if 
Shoot, if you can get a job done with her, there's no, no yeah, sense I, in changing it. Yeah, I can get it done with her. I just know it's when it's going to happen. You know, oh, so yeah. I'll, you know, calling her off beforehand or over. I get bad with over commanding. Oh yeah, that's a struggle of mine. Yeah, and, and uh, you know what? I, I I give a lot of commands. Um, there's times that I don't, you know, I'll send a dog and I'll turn my back and then just, you know, close the gate work, you know, set up my, my corral or, or whatever. And then, you know, I expect those dogs to bring, bring the cattle to me, mm-hmm. but there's other times where I'm trying to do something a little more technical. I, I give a lot of commands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the dog just has to know to take it, you know, um, some dogs, and uh, just can't take it. And I, you know, I have dogs like this that I know they're, they're what I call 10 command dogs. I, I have 10 commands and then I know there's going to be a blow up and then it's, you know, it's probably going to be a reset and I can give them 10 more commands. And then it's just almost like a pressure cooker situation. And, and, uh, the adrenaline and the intensity just builds and builds and builds as I'm giving those commands. And then, and they're probably going to go buy something. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I'll tell you what, these dogs, so like when I'm buying cattle at the cell barn, I like the stuff that no one else wants. Like if a cow is trying to jump into the auctioneers where he's sitting, Mm -hmm. I want that cow because I know I'm going to be able to pick her up for cheaper. Yeah. I want the, I want the wild snotty, just kind of hags, you know? Yeah. Um, and with my dogs, I, I like about a 95% head dog. Like I, I want him to bite, want to bite the head 95% of the time and the, the heel, about five percent of the time, and the reason why is I'll I'll, get, I'll bring these these cows home. I call them cell barn junk because they are no one else. You know, there's a reason they're at the barn, and it's probably because they climbed out of a fence, ran over a guy, something. And I'll take those cows, and when they face a dog or face me, they get bit. As soon as they turn around, it is the quickest release of pressure you can give one because the dogs don't bite as they're leaving. Yep. Um, and those Coriannies that I put together, uh, you know, they're, you know, I, I'm sure they've been through six or seven team ropers before I got to them. And, and, you know, they, they've been, you know, prodded and, and just pushed and probably had a healer or two on them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they, they were kind of ignorant to deal with. And, and it took me longer to, to break that set of cattle than, than any other set I've ever had. But by the time I got them, uh, the second they'd hear me whistle, you know, to, to send a dog, mm-hmm. Instead of running, they'd ball up. And it was almost like a herd of elephants. You ever seen a herd of elephants? They put the calves in the middle and all the cows are on the outside. Mm-hmm. That, that's what these cows would do. And they'd just ball up. And then as soon as the dog got on the backside, instead of running to me, they'd just start walking. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I still had a few that wanted to, you know, they, they, they wouldn't fight a dog so much, but they kind of wanted to hunt a guy, you know, hunt a human. Um, and those ones I, I culled. But for the most part, by dog breaking them with dogs like that, it improved their, their attitudes tenfold. Yeah. And is there something to, some people think I'm crazy. Sometimes I feel like I can settle a set of cows by just, even if the dog, just by having a dog present where it gets on the ground and is just there. It's not chasing, it's not actively hurting, but you can kind of almost saddle a group with, with a dog. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so when we rode deer, those cows, after we take them out of the semis, like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're not 
we're, we're not uh, actively using the dogs as we're rodearing them. We're just kind of riding around. The dogs are healed, you know, next to the horse. And uh, those cows, you know, they, they're, they're very attentive to where that dog is. And they're making sure their calf is picked up next to them. But they're not trying to run away. They're, you know, they'll stick their head down and eat. They're not stressed. And so I think there's a lot of sense in what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, how many dogs do you have? Oh, shoot. So before I moved, I had about 50 and now I'm, I'm down to, uh, I don't know the exact number, probably about 30, 30 and, uh, yep. that you've bred and that you train and sell or what do you, or you, you yeah. use that many dogs or I guess you use them all. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of them are young prospects, you know, that will start and either incorporate in, into our breeding program or, or we'll sell as, you know, started dogs. Um, when I had 50, you know, uh, a good chunk of those were client dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to take in about 14 client dogs a month. Um, now I, I don't hardly take any, um, and then, uh, you know, we, we do raise pups. We don't raise a lot of pups, um, because, uh, you know, the bitches that I have, I, uh, I have to use them, you know, I, I can't just, just breed a dog, you know, I have to use them. And so like this year I'm going to breed one female and, and that's it because the, the rest are just going to go into the rotation and get used this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sell a lot of semen. So we, uh, you know, both both domestically and internationally. We, we ship a lot of semen to Australia um, out of our two stud dogs. And uh, and then, you know, we, we probably ship more semen to Australia than we do domestically, but we do breed a lot of outside dogs. Um, and so we do produce a lot of puppies, but not out of our own females. Yeah. Where, where do people find uh, out about your dogs and stuff? Yeah. Well, so I had a face, I had a Facebook page, uh, slash these stock dogs and it, it was a pretty big one. I had a, had a pretty good following there. And for some reason, Facebook decided to take it down. Oh. And, uh, so we, we started a new one, but I don't have very many, very many, uh, likes on it. I think I only got like 1500 likes on it so far. And, and uh, it's still called slash D. Yep. Slash D stock dogs. That's my, that's my brand. And, I've just kind of, you know, everything is, is kind of circled around that brand. Cool. I've got one more question for you. If you got time, you bet we were, uh, you mentioned something about running in common and, uh, you, that's when you put wanted you guys agreed to put out bulls for June 1st. So, that's you guys ran on one range, you and another guy, and then you just basically your cows are together and you just have to kind of hopefully mutually agree to run your livestock the same way. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, and I was fortunate that the guy I was running in common with, you know, he's a friend, and so we've agreed, you know, and, and he, he runs his, his program similar to the way I run mine. Yeah. Some guys aren't so lucky. I know I have a friend that runs in common with, uh, Oh, I think four other guys, maybe five other guys. And, uh, uh, you know, they may bring a Hereford bull, you know, Hereford bulls one year or, 
Angus bulls. I know one guy brought a, Bra- a Brahma bull one, one year. They have no control over it. Um, and uh, some guys, you know, help a lot. Some guys don't help at all. And so running in common on a, on a BLM or a forest service permit uh, can create some challenge. I personally uh, don't run on any BLM or forest service. I just have friends that do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was running in common with my friend, it was on private ground, a mix between his and my private ground. We kind we kind of teamed up so we could uh, we we would have enough grass because last year we were in a pretty bad drought. Okay, so it was um, just kind of you guys tr- tried to make the best of a bad situation by running together, resting more acreage at one yes, time sir. for hopefully to get some rain. Yep, hopefully, you know, just trying to spread out the grass a little bit, maybe even spread out the workload a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, it worked out well. Um, it, uh, you know, this year we're, we're both just running on our own places. Um, we've, we've had the best winter we've ever had. And so we've got more moisture than we've, we've ever gotten before since they started keeping records. And in fact, it's raining right now. And in my part of the, the country, it's not green right now. It's normally starting to turn brown. The grass is starting to, you know, you know, go to head, seed out, and just kind of go dormant. And but now, I mean, I just I, I grazed. Uh, I had a, I had a pasture that I hadn't used since 2021, and I turned my cows into it in uh, about the first part of April until the first part of May. It's about 250 acres, and uh, I pulled off of it. And that grass looks better now than it did when I turned on to it hmm. in April. And because just all the moisture you're getting plus, yeah, all plus the, rest, right? Yeah. The rest and the moisture. Um, and, uh, uh I don't have any plans to hit that pasture again. You know, out here, you kind of have to have the mentality that you better save some grass. Cause there's going to be a time when you don't have any to go to, mm-hmm. um, but if it if it starts getting ahead of me and we still got some moisture coming in, I will hit it again. Yeah. Um but but this time I'll only probably take twenty percent. Oh, I see. And a lot of that ground out there, I mean, is it uncommon to rest something that long or you know, or is is there quite a bit of grass that's rested for a year or two? Oh no, no, and and and, and mine wasn't rested intentionally i would have used it last year it's in a bad spot a lot of cars go through the fence and they destroyed my fence and i just didn't get it fixed I see. and so um but here no here it's almost like the cows go here on this day they come off on this day they go here on this day it's a set schedule with with no rest time and the problem with and i think it's countrywide i just i notice it here because i'm here the mentality of, well, my grandpa did it this way, so this is the way we're going to do it. It, it. It's pretty strong here. Yeah, and uh, I think it's countrywide. Yeah, and you know, and and I, I you know, and there, there's been times I've tried to explain stuff, and and then I just figure out that one, it's you know, not my pig, not my farm type of deal, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the, the same time, it's you know, it's it's trying to, it's almost like talking to a brick wall. And so I, I let those folks do their thing, but 
the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you know, like I said, my mentor, he's got some of the best grass in the county. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have to spend money on fertilizer. Uh, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, well, he just barely bought a tractor and, you know, and, and he, he has no use for one. Um, and these other guys, you know, they're constantly fertilizing it. They're disking it up. They're trying to plant something new and, and it's almost like they're, they're getting further and further behind. Yeah. Yep. They, they're trying to change it because they can see it's degrading. Right. But they haven't started focusing on soil health and just a few of those basic principles, which, uh, I think a lot of it boils down to, to just to rest. Um, Oh yeah. Um, and you know, if you've got good soil, mm -hmm. but you hammer it, it's not going to be good soil. Yeah. Um, you're going to play it out. Yep. And a lot of guys try to get rid of the weeds. I don't, I, I graze my cattle tighter. I make them eat them. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, we have a, we have what they call white top out here and I don't know exactly what it is, but I know cattle don't like it. It, you know, I've tasted the, the flour on top, you know, and, uh, it almost has like a peppery taste to it. Mm-hmm. And, but I know if, if I just turn my cows out, they're not going to touch it. They're going to eat everything else but it. But if I graze my cows tight, even, even not as tight as I want to, like I'm doing this spring, mm-hmm. they're still eating that. Yeah. And and what it's doing is as soon as they eat it, it's dead. It's not growing back. And yep. now it gives the grass a better chance to come up because there's no competition. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, I yes, really, sir. really appreciate anything else we didn't cover that you feel like uh, you got to get off your chest or, or that I'm, that I missed. Oh shoot. I could be here for hours. I won't go to confession on Sunday. Um, <laughs> but no, no, we're good. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and just talk with you. And, and uh, you know, I, I could talk all day about this stuff. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Learning, learned a lot. Um, let's, uh, I mean, we didn't even start with who you were. Um, it, the conversation just started. So we'll just tell them, uh, Tell them who you are, how they can find you, uh, email. I mean, you can text me an email and stuff, and I'll just put it in the show notes page. But if you uh, – Facebook page or wherever, however anybody can get a hold of you. Sure. Yeah, so did Michael Dow, I'm out here in Utah. And, uh, you know, you can find me on Facebook either under my personal name or my, my business slash dogs. Um, got a website slash dtraining.com. You know, we just – uh, and we, we, we try to raise dogs that are uh, a good fit for someone that wants to use their dogs and, and, uh, that wants a, a tougher type dog to dog break cattle. And, and once their dog broke, just, just use them on the ranch. Cool. Well, I really so, but I, appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. And, uh, and, uh, I'll wait to, uh, to hear from you, but I'll, I'll sure uh, send you an email and, or a message and, and shoot you all my info. Sounds good. No, you have a good evening and, uh, we'll talk at you later. Yes, sir. You do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Bye.